0: hello and welcome back to season three of sequelizers the show all about fixing bad sequels to good movies if there's a good movie followed by a terrible sequel we're going to do our very very best to try and fix it this is reel two of spider-man three and i am your host as always jack chambers the team known as Sam Raimi Needs a Holiday, Alec Plowman. Yo. And Stuart Ashen. Hello there. And their opponents. My <laughs> secret
1: copier. <laughs> 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 That's the thing that we explained.
2: Go back to last week. You'll get the reference. No, you won't. won't you still that. won't. Matthew Stogden. I keep wanting to do a Spider Man quote. Um, I'll get more for it on eBay. But it doesn't really work. So I'll just say, um, <laughs> I'll just say hello.
1: And Tim Matum. Hello. Coming up with a second Spider-Man quote was bloody difficult. Yeah, I was just nobody
0: like, went power and responsibility. No, like, no that's not. the obvious one.
1: What, what is it in um, Amazing Spider-Man? Because they can't say that line. Oh, no, so he goes, matter. sometimes you got powers and you got to do good things with them, but not
0: bad things. You have a very important duty with your... Superhuman strength. It's, like,
2: what? <laughs> it's, it's all puberty talk, but the fact that this comes out of Martin Sheen's mouth, you don't really care. You're like, yeah, he's right. He's right. Saying. I do have powers and I have to do stuff that's good with them.
3: I really want to see a mashup between Amazing Spider-Man and The Departed where he gets, <laughs> where he gets, off a roof. He gets pushed off the roof and then Spider-Man swings by and saves <laughs> <laughs> him.
0: Well, speaking of my secret copier why don't you remind the listeners at home of your film title your cast and crew and all that good stuff
3: and your elevator pitch before we delve deeper within your proper pitch our film is Spider-Man 3 coming out 2007
2: exactly when Spider-Man 3 did do and our director is Richard Linklater our returning cast is Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, James Franco, J.K. Simmons, Rosemary Harris and Dylan Baker as all them good folk from the earlier films.
3: Uh, and our new cast is Mads Mikkelsen as Craven the Hunter, Norman Reedus as Herman Schultz, aka The Shocker, and Paula Patton as Sally Avril. Our composer is Danny Elfman, who did Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, and... uh most Tim Burton films and a bunch of other superhero stuff. Our elevator pitch is, as Peter Parker and Mary Jane adjust to their new life as a couple, balancing the responsibilities of Spider-Man with the difficulties of everyday life, Harry Osborn plots behind the scenes. Bringing a deadly new threat to bear, Osborn aims to end Spider-Man's life once and for all. But has he gone too
2: far? Dun-dun-dun. Spider-Man 3. Title music. Credits. Film. Peter Parker races up the stairwell of an apartment block, switching between web swinging and regular running to avoid raising suspicions whenever residents appear. Bursting through an apartment door, he sees plumes of smoke filling the room as an alarm shrieks. Shooting Webb to silence the alarm, Peter opens a window and places a blackened lasagna on the sill. As he does this, Mary Jane Watson walks in, causing Peter to spin around and announce dinner is served. The two quickly catch up over a rushed meal, then change outfits, check the answering machine, and quickly exchange a kiss. We learn that Peter is working as a photographer for a real estate agency and searching for a job in science, while MJ is balancing low-paying modelling work with a night job as a waitress. Money is tight, and the two seem exhausted, but very much in love. MJ heads out to work while Peter puts on his mask and exits via the window as Spider-Man. Patrolling the city, Spidey intervenes in a shootout between the police and a gang armed with energy weapons. We learn that several gangs throughout New York City have gained access to this kind of tech over the last few months, but the police have no clue who the supplier is. Spider-Man helps disarm the gang members who are arrested, but their leader, Herman Schultz, evades capture. At the end of the night, Peter returns home and he and MJ discuss the recent close calls Spider-Man has had and how dangerous the city has become. In Tanzania, a group of wealthy businessmen observe an isolated lion from a jeep.
3: They discuss their wager as a man armed only with a knife approaches the animal. After a vicious struggle, the man walks away victorious and unscathed. Half the businessmen celebrate, while the other half curse their loss. One of the winners consoles a loser, telling him never to bet against Craven the Hunter. A satellite phone rings and the driver exits the jeep, heading to Craven, who is skinning his kill. Back in New York, MJ and Peter's schedules have aligned and they are enjoying an afternoon off together. The relaxed atmosphere turns to one of frustration as the couple discuss the limitations of their careers. MJ's modelling opportunities have stalled after the Daily Bugle ran a series of unflattering editorials, revenge for MJ walking out on her wedding to John Jameson, and Peter's duties as Spider-Man have hurt his job search. MJ suggests Peter could approach Harry Osborne for a job, but Peter is evasive, saying that Harry has enough on his plate running
2: Oscorp. A suited Craven arrives at the Osborne penthouse and is introduced to Harry as Sergei Kravenov. Harry dismisses his butler and explains he is willing to pay Craven an exorbitant amount of money to hunt the ultimate prey, Spider-Man. He details how he has been funneling advanced technology to street gangs to keep the webslinger exhausted, but despite the mounting odds, none have been able to take him down. Harry offers Craven access to all of Oscorp's resources, but Craven dismisses it, saying he doesn't need expensive toys to take down a spider. Left alone, Harry is mocked by the echoing voice of his father for lacking the fortitude to get his own hands dirty. Several days later, Craven has been tracking Spider-Man's actions as he follows the highly armed street gangs. After a public showdown, Schultz is apprehended and turned over to the authorities. Craven notes his praised use of stealth, his non-lethal approach, and a heightened ability to intuit attacks. With Schultz dealt with, Craven uses the New York skyline to pursue Spider-Man to an alley, where he witnesses him change into his civilian apparel. From there, he stalks Peter all the way back to Queen's, to Aunt May's house. Meanwhile, Mary Jane
3: ambushes Harry as he leaves a fundraiser event. With neither aware that both know Peter's secret identity, the conversation is farcical. Harry explains that Peter has done something unforgivable, but is unwilling to divulge details. So MJ appeals to his nostalgia, reminding Harry of their time together in high school. Reliving these memories seems to assuage him, but the mention of his deceased father clearly shakes Harry. Looking up, Harry sees the image of his father in his limousine window. Norman, played by Willem Dafoe, goads his son, saying once Spider-Man is gone, everything and everyone can be his. Harry then snaps at MJ before getting in his car and speeding away. One of the charity organisers, Sally Averill, approaches, and says she overheard the argument. She explains Osborne is an arsehole who has promised money to her foundation and has reneged
2: for months. Puzzled, MJ introduces herself and the two converse further. The next afternoon, Peter is having a quick coffee with Robbie Robertson from the Daily Bugle, who begs him to come back, saying that the paper hasn't been able to get decent shots of Spider-Man from any other freelancer. However, the conversation is interrupted when Peter's phone rings. He answers, expecting Aunt May, but is stunned when Craven is on the other end, telling Peter to meet him at Yankee Stadium if he wants to see May again. Peter excuses himself, dons his costume, and races to the stadium. Upon arrival, he sees May tied to a chair in the middle of the outfield. Spider-Man gets closer and tries to calm May, but she surprises him, addressing him as Peter. She goes on to say she's extremely proud of him. Shocked, Peter says he will free her, but is chased away by a hail of bullets. Hamstrung by the open position and lack of shadows to hide in, Spidey traces the shots and heads towards Craven's position. Reaching the point, Peter is surprised to find a remote-controlled sentry gun,
3: which powers down before a gas bursts forth, robbing Peter of his spider-sense. Stumbling backward, he falls from the stand's rooftop, but is netted out of the sky by a projectile snare of steel cables, pinning Spider-Man to the wall. Craven confidently walks over, mocking the trapped hero, saying he was promised a great hunt. Reaching up, Craven tastes the blood trickling from Spider-Man's pierced leg before breaking Peter's wrist, calling him a little boy who is unwilling to make the hard choices in life. Believing he would be a more challenging adversary if properly motivated, he deactivates the snare and a weakened Peter tumbles to the floor. Craven leans close and whispers, Race you, then runs across the field towards May. Peter hobbles desperately, unable to use one of his web-shooters, firing shots of webbing which Craven dodges. Reaching May, Craven looks back at um, Reaching May, Craven looks back at Peter before saying "pity" to himself and killing Aunt May. Distraught, Peter falls to his knees and weeps
2: as Craven disappears from the stadium. At May's funeral, Peter and MJ mourn alongside May's friends. Dr. Kurt Connors approaches Peter and offers him condolences, along with a business card, explaining he misses him as a student, but could possibly take him on as a lab assistant. MJ then receives a call from Sally, and Mary Jane updates her friend on the investigation into Oscorp's finances, and that several publicly promised donations have not been paid over. Peter snaps at MJ for taking a phone call at this sensitive time, but she explains she is trying to stop Harry from potentially being defrauded. Peter turns cruel and says Harry probably deserves it. He then goes on to say he won't rest until Craven is brought to justice. MJ tells him to remember he's not here to beat up bad guys, but to help people. But Peter seems consumed by vengeful thoughts. At the Osborne penthouse, Harry yells at an impassive Craven, telling him that killing Aunt May was never part of the plan, and that he has fired. Craven replies that the hunt isn't over, and if Harry wants to control how it takes place, he should be a man and join him. Harry hears the voice of his father cackling and saying, he's right, you know, and storms out of the room. Except it being Willem Dafoe, it'd probably be,
3: He's right, you know. He's right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> he just goes, <laughs> <"Meh."> Yeah. <laughs> goes the most
0: of it. Spider-Man.
3: With his wrist healed, Spider-Man shakes down numerous criminals looking for a lead on Craven, but to no avail. At his wit's end, he drops in on J. Jonah Jameson, asking if he has heard anything about the Hunter's whereabouts. JJ laughs in his masked face, amused that Spider-Man has come crawling to him for help. Spidey, however, slumps to the floor and begins to cry from desperation and grief. Taken aback, JJ ineffectually pats him on the shoulder and tells him that should he hear anything, the wall crawler will be able to read about it in the bugle. Betty Brandt buzzes through to Jonah's office, asking which story to run on the front page. The weapons being found on the street, or the missing charitable funds at Odds Corp. Spider-Man gets to his feet and thanks Jonah before departing. Reverting back to his usual brash self, Jonah lights a cigar and berates his secretary. Peter arrives at Harry's penthouse to find Osborne drunk and shaken. Peter unmasks and attacks Harry, accusing him of providing the street gangs with new tech. Peter states he suspected this, but dismissed his intuition, before both men argue over Norman's death, leading Harry to let slip that he has hired Craven. Consumed by rage... Peter throws Harry across the room and through a mirror, revealing a secret goblin lab. Peter hoists his friend up and tells him to look around, asking does he really want to carry on his father's legacy. Norman calls out from the broken shards of mirror, but Harry lashes out and hurls the goblin mask to the floor. Peter, taking pity on Harry, holds his friend and asks for his help. Harry confesses Craven has gone somewhere Spider-Man can't follow. Peter is confused, but before he can say anything else,
2: Harry adds but I can. On Riker's Island prison, Craven effortlessly takes out the guards and unlocks all the cells from a control tower. Several prisoners start fighting and rioting among themselves while a group led by Schultz retrieves his confiscated weapons and commandeers a police helicopter to escape the island. In the Manhattan office of the Wayward Teens charity, MJ and Sally are discussing the Bugle's interest in the story of the missing funds when a helicopter clumsily lands. Schultz and several prisoners step out, stating they are taking the kids with them some of whom used to be in Schultz's gang. Stood in the tower of the prison, Craven surveys the chaos being wrought before a deep hum can be heard in the distance, and a green glider races past, quickly followed by Spider-Man in tow via webbing. Spider-Man rolls onto the ground and desperately tries to round up and contain as many loose prisoners as possible. Harry circles around, and Peter calls out to take care of the convicts while he helps the besieged prison staff. Harry, still uneasy on the glider, does his best. Over in Manhattan... Having
3: heard the commotion, the teens come to the various windows of the building. Schultz looks up and threatens to wreck the whole structure if they don't come with him. MJ then stands up to Schultz, telling him that Spider-Man has bested him multiple times and no one is afraid of him. At this point, several police cars race up, and Schultz uses his gauntlets to make an escape while the other convicts are apprehended. Back on Riker's Island, Harry attempts to hunt down Craven with little success. On the other side of the prison, Spider-Man is doing his best to escort the prison staff to a safe area. As he heads back to the main complex, an an explosion rips through the prison, and though Spider-Man does his best to prevent the raining debris from reaching the guards, he is eventually pinned by a heavy load of concrete and pipes. His freshly healed wrist struggling to shift the weight, Peter begins to panic. Craven, armed with a silver spear, strides through the smoke and chaos, calling out to Peter and explaining he was never worthy of hunting. However, as Craven approaches the pile of rubble Peter is
2: trapped under, Harry flies down, tackling Craven over to the other side of the prison courtyard. As Craven and Harry fight, Peter summons every last ounce of strength and shifts the debris, launching himself into the melee. For a brief moment, we get a glimpse of what could have been as Peter and Harry fight side by side finally getting Craven on the ropes. However, all too quickly, Craven recovers and corners Peter. He raises his spear aloft and throws it at the trapped web-slinger. But before the spear can end Spider-Man's life, Harry glides in, dying in Peter's place. Craven coldly congratulates the deceased Harry for finally stepping up and dying honourably. Filled with fury, Peter launches himself wildly at Craven. Smiling at the challenge and the similarities between his opponent and the ferocity of a wild animal, Craven battles against Spider-Man. Unlike the acrobatic clashes we have
3: seen in the past, this duel feels different. Peter lashes out and finally gains the upper hand over Craven, beating him to within an inch of his life. As Peter raises his hand to end the fight, Craven gurgles through bloody teeth, Do it, you've earned this. Stopping, Peter steps back and surveys the horror of the attack. Surrounded by flames and smoke, Peter explains to Craven that an animal hunts and kills for survival rather than the pleasure and he has proven that he can survive almost anything. Grabbing Craven by the scruff of his fur collar, Spider-Man drags him into the prison and slings him into a cell, webbing it shut. Craven struggles to his feet, demanding an honourable death, but Peter simply hobbles away, leaving the hunter howling and growling in his cage.
2: Several days later, the bugle runs a story on the death of Harry Osborn, following the theft of his identity that led to funds being misdirected. It adds that without an heir or will, the Osborne estate will be divided between the cheated charitable groups and Oscorp will merge with Connor's lab. Over another questionable-looking lasagna, MJ and Peter optimistically discuss their hopeful future thanks to Connor's taking Peter on as a full-time assistant and MJ transitioning to charity work with Sally. Peter tells MJ that despite everything he has lost and all his responsibilities, he still feels lucky to have her in his life. She smiles and replies, face it, Tiger, you hit the jackpot. In the distance, sirens sound and Peter smiles, heading to the window and pulling on his mask. And we see him swing out across the city, a friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. Nicely done, gentlemen. Nicely done. Thank you. So, over to Sam Raimi needs a holiday. Why don't you
0: refresh our listeners' minds with cast, director, film title, elevator
4: pitch, please, sirs. Our film, released in November 2015, is spider
1: man directed by Sam Raimi. Our cast is Toby Maguire returning as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane Parker. New cast is Dexter Darden as Miles Morales. Donald Glover as Aaron Davis. Michael Jai White that's fucking Spawn to you, ladies and gentlemen, as Jefferson Davis. And Jennifer Lopez as Rio Morales. Uh, music is by... Danny Elfman, and our elevator pitch goes uh, something like this. It is a decade since Peter Parker hung up his Spider-Man costume for the last time, but will the emergence of a new web-slinger force the old Spidey out of retirement?
0: Take it away with your full pitch, please, gentlemen. Certainly. Certainly.
4: We open on New York City to find the giant robot Ultimo on the rampage. Pedestrians flee in terror, cars and street signs are smashed. It is a scene of chaos. The mechanical monstrosity picks up a yellow school bus full of children as onlookers scream. The robot looks like he is about to throw the bus, but suddenly his arm locks. The camera pans out to reveal War Machine, Don Cheadle, holding the limb in place with his repulsors. Other members of the Avengers quickly flank him and a massive cheer goes up from the crowd. The robot is defeated, the children are saved, and Captain America, Chris Evans, Falcon, Anthony Mackie, Vision, Paul Bettany, and Scarlet Witch, Elizabeth Olsen, greet the gathered masses, reuniting children with their parents, posing for photographs and signing autographs. The camera pans across the crowd to reveal a much older Peter Parker wistfully watching. We hear his inner monologue. That used to be me, but that was a long time ago. His face turns to a frown as he turns and walks away. Peter arrives at a New York high school. These days, he's no longer Spider-Man, but Peter Parker, high school science teacher. His class isn't exactly riveted by today's lesson. We see one student passing a note with cartoon Z's drawn on it. One student arrives late, sits down at their desk and promptly falls asleep. Finally, the bell rings and the class is dismissed. A dispirited Peter cleans the whiteboard.
1: The day ends and Peter Parker walks home. Taking a shortcut, he passes a dark alleyway when his spider sense suddenly tingles. Initially, he ignores it, walking on. But curiosity gets the better of him, and he goes to investigate. To his surprise, he discovers a pair of criminal hoods causing a considerable amount of destruction with what appears to be an alien assault rifle. The technology is not dissimilar from what we saw in the first Avengers movie. When it comes to sneaking around criminals, though, Peter is severely out of practice and draws attention to himself with a false step. They turn around, training the gun on him. Before the criminals can open fire, a webline takes the gun out of their hands, pinning one of them to the wall. But we cut back to see Peter still standing there. A young, quipping web-slinger in a clearly homemade costume quickly renders the other criminal unconscious. Peter is momentarily dumbfounded. The young Spider-Man nods towards Peter, says, Gotta go. Busy night. Do you mind calling the cops on these guys? Before spinning another web and shooting off. Peter hesitates, but then decides to follow, spinning a web of his own. An exhilarating chase between the two Spider-Men takes place across high-rise New York before Peter eventually corners the young pretender on a rooftop. Seeing his pursuer for the first time, the young Spider-Man is shocked. Mr. Parker, he says. Peter is momentarily taken aback before the young Spider-Man removes his mask. Peter recognises him from school, but does not know his name. The boy introduces himself as Mars Morales. Peter says he knows his name and that his teacher speaks of him very highly.
4: Sitting on the edge of the rooftop, the 2 webslingers talk. Parker asks Morales how he got spider powers. Morales simply responds that it's a long story. Miles then reveals that, as a child, he was in the subway carriage that Spider-Man saved from Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man was his hero, and he never understood why he went away. Peter replies that it's complicated, and that besides, New York has plenty of heroes now that the Avengers are in. Miles retorts that, while the Avengers are great for alien invasions or giant robots, New York needs someone to look after the little guy. Besides, Spidey is needed more than ever, what with the alien weapon tech that's been flooding the streets recently. He tells the older Spider-Man that he could really use his help, but Parker declines. Miles suddenly realises the time. Crap, I'm late, gotta go, I'll catch you around Mr Parker. Peter sits thinking for a moment, before realising that he still has to call the police about the thugs. We see the two thugs being cut out of webbing by a man wearing a bulky suit laden with alien tech. They say thank you to their boss, but he just spits, get in the damn van, in response as sirens can be heard in the distance.
1: Morales arrives at home, berated by his mother, Rio, for being late. It is his father's birthday and dinner is getting cold. Apologising, he sits down to the table with his father, Jefferson, and his uncle, Aaron. Over the course of the dinner, it becomes apparent that Miles clearly looks up to his uncle, who acts like a sort of cool older brother figure. Jefferson is in the middle of telling Aaron how Miles is acing science at school and could be a great doctor or physicist one day. Aaron quips that it's better than going into the old family business. Jefferson shoots Aaron a look. What does he mean, Dad? Miles asks, but there is an awkward silence, only broken as Miles' mother brings a cake to the table. Meanwhile, at the Parker residence, Peter brings his wife, Mary Jane Parker, up to speed on the latest goings-on. Mary Jane says it sounds like the new Spider-Man could use some guidance, but Peter says that he can't provide it, not after what happened with Harry. In flashback, it is revealed that Peter retired Spider-Man after facing off against Harry Osborne, who had taken on the mantle of the Green Goblin to avenge his father. Osborne, in a maddened state, was acting recklessly during the battle and fell to his death, with Peter unable to save him. Concluding that being Spider-Man only hurt the ones he cared about, Parker called time on superheroics. Mary Jane tells him that Harry's death wasn't his fault. Maybe it's time for Spider-Man to return. The next day
4: at high school, Peter tells Miles to meet him on the rooftop after class. They, Peter says, are going to get to the bottom of this alien weapons thing. Besides, if Miles wants to be a web-slinger, he needs someone to show him the ropes. I guess that makes us the Spider-Men, Miles responds. Oh no, Peter responds, saying that having two Spider-Men will be too confusing. He suggests that Miles calls himself Kid Arachnid or something. But Miles says that's a terrible name, and he's sticking with Spider-Man. Peter and Miles start to hit the alien weapon sellers hard. Under Parker's tutelage, Morales becomes a more effective Spider-Man, while Parker regains his confidence in his superhero abilities. They learn that the alien weapons are made using tech recovered from the New York incident in the first Avengers film. It is being lifted from Stark Industries, who secured a government salvaging contract after the incident. Eventually, they get the location of where the weapons are being manufactured, an abandoned warehouse in Manhattan, as well as the name of the man running the operation, the Prowler. They also discover that the Prowler is planning to hit Stark Industries in a big way in the next few weeks and learn the proposed date of his big score. This will make him very rich and see even more alien weapons on the streets.
1: Miles suggests that they take down the Prowler, but Peter says they need to inform Tony Stark, who can take care of his own business. Peter makes a call but after being caught up in Stark Industries' mass of cool holding and dead ends for an hour, he pulls his mask back on and says, ''Let's go.'' The Spider-Men arrive at the warehouse and spy the Prowler. They discover, to Miles' horror, that the Prowler is actually his uncle, Aaron Davis. Peter tries to hold Miles back, but he runs recklessly into battle in an enraged state. Initially, Aaron is caught off guard, but he easily overpowers Miles thanks to his powerful suit, which is laden with the alien tech. It looks like Aaron is about to finish Miles off, but Peter rushes in to save him, taking the full blunt of a weapons blast. As the blast hits, Morales' mask is ripped off, revealing his identity to Aaron. Morales screams blue murder at his uncle, but Aaron retorts that being a criminal is in the Morales family DNA. He says that he and Morales' father, Jefferson, were running guns back before Miles was even born, and that this goody two-shoes act won't last forever. The sound of sirens is heard in the distance, and the prowler beats a hasty retreat. Miles goes to Peter, who is badly wounded and unconscious. He picks him up over his shoulders and takes him to the hospital. Hours later, we see Morales and Mary Jane Parker in a hospital waiting room. A doctor comes out and tells him something. We don't hear any dialogue, but as Mary Jane breaks down in hysterics, we realise what's happened. Peter Parker has died. Morales is frozen in silence. In a deserted alleyway, Morales
4: rages. He smashes up dustbins and punches the wall as he cries and screams. He throws his Spider-Man costume into the bin and leaves. Weeks pass. A memorial service is held for Peter Parker. Miles continues with his studies, having dropped his extracurricular activities. Uncle Aaron has gone off the radar, though that subject is not discussed in the Morales household. One day, Miles is confronted by his mother. She says he hasn't been himself, and that he's been avoiding his father, and she wants to know what's going on. He breaks down and cries, telling her that he knows about his father and uncle's past, that his uncle is still a criminal, and that he doesn't know who he is anymore. His mother responds that Miles is not the same man as his uncle. She tells him that his father was a criminal, but that he reformed. She says that Aaron wasn't destined to be a criminal. He made a choice. Miles, like his father, is his own man, and can follow his own path. There is a knock at the door. Miles' mother goes to open it and is met by Mary Jane, who asks if she can speak to him. Miles' mother leads her into the kitchen and leaves. Mary Jane produces a package from her backpack. She says that Peter was working on it before he died and wanted Miles to have it when he was ready. New York will always need a Spider-Man, Miles, she tells him. He opens the package to discover a red and black Spider-Man costume in his size.
1: Miles returns to his room, looking at his calendar. The day's date is marked D-Day in capital letters. He says momentarily at a picture on his wall a Spider-Man drawn by Miles Morales, age 8. Clenching a fist, he pulls the Spider-Man mask over his face. At a Stark Industry storage facility, the Prowler is instructing a group of goons who are loading tech into a fleet of armoured vans. Miles sneaks around the facility, taking out the goons one by one. He confronts the Prowler and an epic fight ensues. It takes all of Morales' strength and cunning to deflect Prowler's onslaught, especially given his upgraded alien tech but Morales eventually gets his uncle on the ropes and defeats him. Miles is in a position to deliver a killer blow to the Prowler, and the Prowler goads him to do it, saying that deep down, Morales is the same as him. But Morales hesitates. Instead, he ties the Prowler up and web him, and drops him off at the police station. A note attached reads, Compliments of your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. Sometime later, in class, Miles Morales' spider-sense tingles, and he hears sirens in the distance excusing himself he slips into the bathroom and changes into his spider suit in new york's publishing district an old man is drawing a familiar cartoon image of parker's spider man he pauses for a second and begins adding webbed wings to his arms before deciding against it and rubbing them out suddenly the red and black clad spider-man shoots past causing the artist to mutter screw up his drawing and start again At the Daily Bugle, J. Jonah Jameson, J.K. Simmons, shouts at Robbie Robinson, complaining that the bugle's going out of business. It's all because of goddamn bloggers. As Spider-Man shoots past the window, though, Jameson stops what he is doing, open-mouthed, his cigar dropping to the floor. The web-slinger passes, and a second later, he hollers, Stop press! Today's headline! New Spider-Marist terrorizes New York City! I want photos! I want exclusives! I want to know who made that awful suit!
4: Spider-Man perches atop a New York City ledge, American flag in the background. (laughs) He spies the police chase in progress, swings into action, and the credits roll. An orchestral version of Chad Kroger's Hero, (laughs) performed by the London Philharmonic, no, not really. <laughs> that would be terrible. No. no, actually, it's an original orchestral piece based loosely on the 60s cartoon theme. Not gonna stand here. right. Featuring
1: my man, Josie Scott. Right? From saliva. <laughs> um,
4: post credit scene, because it's Marvel. As Miles Morales leaves high school, a black limo pulls up at the gate. The door opens, revealing Tony Stark. I know you are, kid, he says. Thanks for the help with the thieves. Not that I needed it. You knew about that? asks Miles. Of course. I do try and keep my ear to the ground on a moving city levelling alien tech around. Get in, we have to talk. Oh man, Miles retorts. You might want to work on your delivery. You don't know how many after school specials I've seen telling me to avoid this exact scenario. Stark rolls his eyes. Just get in the damn car. There's
1: uh, just mont- black and white montage photos of Chad Kroger. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Burns the fuck out of <laughs> early 2000s
4: Chad Kroger and then a single tear runs down his face as an eagle fades in <laughs>
1: look what love gave us a world full of killing and blood, <laughs> and, blood and blood spilling that world never came thanks to Spider-Man Some 41 did a song as well no one talks about that Kerry King was on it yeah he was I remember yep. that that's the thing
0: but Josie Scott from Saliva... Jesus Christ. I had that on
1: CD single back
0: in the day. (laughs) Of course you did. So, coming back around to my secret copier. You guys kind of started off, like you said, Tim, kind of sticking closer to the original a little bit, and then three villains once again, which is, some would argue, one of the big problems with Spider-Man 3 itself. Do you feel you'd be able to balance those different characters enough and and give them enough space whereas we had kind of completely separate villains that don't really interweave and create the narrative in the third at the actual spider-man three in your spider-man three i'm guessing you'd actively try and kind of interweave a little bit more yeah i mean the
3: harry is the main conflict in the film and the other two villains are only there because of him so it's a lot tighter weaved together than than the original spider-man 3 yeah. and arguably Schultz, the, the shocker is there but he's very henchman he's he's quite a henchman type figure and we'll kind of lean a little bit into the shocker from the comics where he's quite a bumbling sort of villain uh and superior <laughs> foes of spider-man yes <laughs> yeah
2: yeah maybe not maybe not bumbling but <laughs> certainly a deadbeat but it is it is the concept that you go someone who... He's not the clean, polished... He's, in fact, he's, he's very much the opposite of Mads Mikkelsen in, a lot, in that character in a lot of ways. Craven's this very calculating, perfectly executed kind of character. I mean, you've got Schultz who just sort of goes by what he feels, doesn't always work out. Sometimes it does. He gets away one time, he doesn't the other. It just sort of... Just flips a coin almost, in a way. Yes. yeah. yeah. I think him as a char- as an actor, he wasn't huge at that point. So he would... I mean, in the same kind of role he plays in Blade 2... Um, just this skeevy sort of guy, and like, oh yeah, he he looks like a criminal. Uh, yeah, I think he's he's mainly there to
3: kind of act as as a as a sort of recognisable villain in the, in the first part, uh, just to give those scenes of kind of Peter tracking down the mm. the arms sales and stuff a little bit more punch.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it is it is something to be wary of the more villains and all that sort of stuff. But I think ultimately, used properly. Um, in, I think, the way we have, hopefully, it, 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 they connect nicely. And the way that the, the Osborne villain is a villain to start with, as he's, like, again, sorry, rather than amnesia, just giving him complete self-doubt and then doing a proper actual, you know, uh, character turn. <laughs> character term. arc, yeah. Yeah, rather than... You know, amnesia, oh, no, maybe not. Yeah, maybe um, not, yeah.
3: yeah. This was, we didn't really discuss it when we were talking Spider-Man 3. Yeah. One of the big problems with the three villains in Spider-Man 3 is you've got Harry Osborne who has a redemption story uh, because you don't want to, you know, he hates Spider-Man but you don't want to see him necessarily go full evil and he sacrifices himself at the end, much like he does in our film. Mm. Sandman, you've got a understandable villain who's just trying to get his kid back yeah. uh, and then even with Venom you are meant to on some level empathise with uh, Eddie Brock because he just feels frustrated and then he gets taken over by an alien kind of thing yeah. uh, and you've got three sympathetic villains there whereas in ours yeah. we've got harry osborne being a sympathetic villain with a redemption arc uh craven who's just a awful uh and then schultz who's just kind of like a henchman type Mm, like work a day villain basically so
2: they're they're three distinct types and there's different motivations going on um also insight into writing process uh, we sat down and talked about ideas and Tim was very, very, very excited about this one. And we both were, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then Tim said, right, Sinister six. And I said, whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right now was we need ver- to stop. Was very, very wisely reined back from yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. But it was it, to be fair, the, the, what we were initially working on as an idea would definitely work. The problem is, uh, because every Spider-Man film seems to kill off their bad guys, which also is also the reason why I didn't kill off Craven, We wanted to have... Oh, actually, I should probably clarify that. Each Spider-Man film, the bad guy kills himself, it seems. Pretty yeah. Much, <laughs> much, yeah. Hoisted yeah. by his own petard. We wanted some lasting ramifications and, and actual meaning. Because obviously we, we kill off May. Partly because I fucking hate Rosemary Harris. <laughs> 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 Jesus <laughs> Christ. She gets far too sexual with Peter by the end of it. <laughs> so many lingering shots. I'm like, what, what are you doing? Um, what's it? Uh, Peter, a man's job is to put his wife first. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> She's probably quite independent, and this is like 2007. <laughs> but, uh, and then you've got, so obviously, the killing of, uh, well, I said the, the, the uh, sacrifice and the, the martyrdom, as it were, of, um, Harry. It's like, I didn't want too much death. This is still a, arguably a family film, but a nice close to it, like, nice rounded edge. And we wanted to have something that would, uh, yeah, last out. But if, say, the goblin and, uh, and, and docock had survived, I think a Sinister thing would be more Poor. plausible, completely more plausible, plausible, but building from scratch in one film would have been amazing Spider-Man territory, possibly. Speaking of Kraven, you mentioned the fur collar mm. as a,
0: kind of a key point. What kind of design are you guys going for? Is it fairly sort of... Um, I imagined this is just my reference to spider like anime 90s animated series big kind of lion kind of...
3: I, I, We haven't really discussed like design sense. Mm. I, I think <clears throat> we would kind of mix up a bit of the kind of almost like big modern big game huntery type figure. And then I kind of picture him almost like <laughs> Craven being quite a uh as a sort of great white hunter archetype, quite a pulpy character. Mm. I can see him almost in the final battle, like going for some like crazy jungle face paint type stuff. Um, going commander. A bit, <laughs> going a bit going a bit Arnie in Predator, mm, uh, yeah. Act Three.
2: We had his hyenas in the one point, didn't we? We did, we did have hyenas oh. in there at one
3: point. Mm. Um but, again, but it's, it's but the they, 2007
2: we, trying to ground it a little bit, yeah. Um, so
3: and it, also the animal cruelty people got onto us. So. <laughs> yeah,
4: Harley Quinn took them.
2: Yes,
3: yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I, I, we haven't really discussed kind of no, what, what
2: he looked like. Much think... in the same way that the vulture's costume in Spider-Man: Homecoming is recognisable to comic fans. The same with the shocker, in fact. In in in, um, in Homecoming, recognisable to fans without being over the top. But by the third act, still being 2007, something that you know, mixed between Apocalypse Now and Van Pelt from Jumanji kind of thing. Mm. Just really, he's like, oh, this is off the chain. This guy is insane sort of thing. Mm. But again, it's a big pulpy comic book finale, isn't it? And right at the very end, Spider-Man webs up
0: Craven in a cage. Mm. Doesn't his webbing kind of disappear after... Not that long. Is it? Is it an hour? Is it a couple of hours? It's a, or something.
3: It's less? a couple of hours, but we assume. Does he then he's call, in, the, call the cops? He's in a like... well. He's in a prison,
2: so yeah. Yeah, it's, it's you know. Things are, you know, there's the final shots. There's helicopters going to the island and lots of things like oh, let's let's try and resume control, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. yes, much
3: much like when you see him, you know, web up thugs and hoodlums in the fight, you assume he then drops them off at the police and doesn't just (laughs) let them stand there for two hours before going away. not my problem anymore. Yeah. Fair (laughs) enough, fair enough.
1: I thought Richard Linklater was a really good choice from a director perspective. I think that's a good balance. I guess my only thing would be, I'm trying to think like really big blockbuster stuff, what he's done that matches this kind of movie in terms of scale. But I can also see that he could pull it off.
2: Tim and I have the yeah. similar reservations yeah. to start with because Tim has said about Linklater being great for that kind of personal connection and I initially was a little concerned about the whole idea of well it's again action set pieces and then you remember oh yeah ADs and a lot of that stuff is helmed by a very capable cast and you are literally in this universe at least stepping straight onto the 2007 film with almost everybody returning so he's just sort of stepping into Raimi's shoes and bringing his own touch to it so mm. we think it'd be yeah, should. Work right?
3: And he's done... Uh... It, not in terms of scale, but he just—he's just done at this point a Scanner Darkly, yes. which is a weird sci-fi film. Um, so it's not unknown for him to kind of branch out into slightly different territory.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the whole film's rotoscope. Did we mention that? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Sold. I mean, like, uh, Vincent. Yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man
0: rotoscope sometimes actually sounds quite good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> Back over to you. Sam Raimi needs a holiday. Have a few questions for you, gentlemen. The first one being how do you feel Sam Raimi first of all would kind of work with Feige and his vision of the MCU and how the tone that is established in the Raimi the, the previous two how that would then kind of tie into the MCU because the MCU has a very specific tone and style and that kind of thing how do you think you obviously have like an, an idea of how to mesh those two together or did you have it as kind of a this stands out as this is still a sam raimi movie but it's also tying
1: into the mcu i think you'd want it to stand out as a sam raimi movie because this is one of the the criticisms of mcu movies especially lately i mean not so much lately lately but of that kind of phase three period is that they were kind of stylistically so yeah i think i think the nature of the story would be something that Um, would bring Raimi back into it because even though we are outside of 60s and 70s Spider-Man you're still dealing with a very character focused story it's very much the sort of thing that he does in his Spider-Man movies in terms of how he deals with characters and things and I think that we're not a million miles away from his territory I also think he's had some time to breathe after the the second film, so a bit of time of Spider-Man to... Two yeah. production, <laughs> yeah. and I think I think he's coming in with a, a fresh take on it at a time when I actually think those movies needed a fresh take. And I think, but I think that the story is going to be enough that he's not going to rebel against it because there aren't those elements there that are going to make it not feel like a Sam Raimi, Raimi Spider-Man movie. So I think it, th- because of the nature of the story that we're telling, I think we get away with it. I think if it had been a different kind of Spider-Man story we might not have done but because of it I think there's enough there that we can we can do that
0: It's also the first real sense of legacy characters in the MCU as well because eventually we're going to get to a point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe where people's contracts are going to expire and Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. and all those guys are going to have to stop being those characters but one assumes that Disney will never stop producing those fucking movies because they make more money than everything else put together so It's interesting that you brought that in relatively early in the MCU and I wonder how that would, there's not really a question for you, I'm just sort of speculating if we were living in this alternate universe of how that would then influence the Marvel Universe going forward. How different is Civil War now that we have Miles Morales in there instead of Peter Parker and stuff like that. I'd be interested to see how that would influence the future sort of generations of movies and do we get a standalone Miles film down the road or does he just kind of swing in and out of the other films and stuff? It'd be an interesting version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think.
1: I would hope you would get a standalone Miles Morales movie. And th- I think I'm that's... not asking
0: you to pitch it right now, don't worry. Oh,
1: well, off the top of my head. Sequelize
0: um, your own film. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel that um, that is something that I do wonder how Marvel is going to deal with when they come to deal with it. And kind of going into Miles a little bit, a little bit
0: more you guys didn't really mention his powers very much does he have his like extra milesy spider powers like the venom sting for for the listeners who don't know he has like a a knockout sting that he inherits from a particular breed of spider and he also has a like stealth camouflage like predator style camouflage thing does he you didn't mention those i don't think does he have that or are you going for more traditional like he's very much like a successor
1: to Peter's kind of legacy. I think they interestingly they were in an earlier draft mm. of it, and I think what it ultimately came down to was wanting to a wanting to because you can get into that later. You can introduce that stuff later. Just because, yeah. You, you in count. the
0: comics, Miles' powers are developing. As we yep. are recording this, exactly. this yeah. podcast, he is still gaining new powers every I think week.
1: For for a, for a spin-off Miles Morales movie, that's stuff that you'd bring in. Or for, for not even a spin-off for a Miles Morales Spider-Man movie. Mm. But I think if you start getting bogged down in the minutia of that in this story, then I think... A, I guess the worry was that it might distract from the actual the actual goings on. So stick on familiar territory for the time being while you're kind of doing this handover, and then get into the nitty gritty of that in subsequent films. Speaking of nitty gritty, what's Peter
0: Parker been doing all these years? What, what did he just ignore? Being a that... filthy bum—that's what he's been doing. <laughs> I, I feel I feel like the main problem with that is it kind of brings up bad memories of Dark Knight Rises, a film I am not keen on, Mm. and is, of course, the third in a trilogy that should be good, but it's not good, and it Mm. it very much mirrors Spider-Man 3, the real one, in a lot of ways. But I feel like your Peter Parker kind of mirrors Bruce Wayne in that he just kind of disappears for, I think, sure, tragic reasons, but then that kind of... The problem I have with it in Dark Knight Rises is that it undermines... We'll get into this later on. Don't worry, we'll cover Dark Knight Rises (laughs) at some point but it undermines Bruce Wayne's drive as a superhero and as a character, it could possibly have the same problems with Peter Parker just going, ah, fuck it, I'll just ignore that giant hole in the sky and all the crazy space dragons and stuff, and Chitauri, who cares?
1: I think there's an interesting thing going on with, with Peter Parker. We were conscious of this going into it, and I think there needed to be a strong enough motivation for him not to do it. Which is my big problem with The Dark Knight Rises, is that Batman's... It's not like... I mean, Batman fails in that movie in the sense that Rachel dies, but then he goes and does heroic Batmaning and saves the day, and then goes, I'm going to give up, after he's done that. And I think Peter Parker's big thing is always this... I can't do the his big conflict to go through all the comics is always I can't be Peter Parker I can't be Spider-Man I can't let people into my life if I'm Spider-Man because I end up killing all of the people that I'm close to and that's the whole thing and then he does and it's his best mate and he kind of feels like it's his and he feels like it's his fault so I thought as far as a Peter Parker motivation for not being Spider-Man goes that is the the motivation but i also think there is this the thing that he says in the movie and this is also something that bruce wayne doesn't have well i imagine that you know spider-man 2 takes place in 2004 so i imagine that this conflict with harry osborne takes place in 2005 First Iron Man film is 2008, so there is then this sense that, well, actually, all of a sudden, I'm not even needed here anymore anyway, because Mm. New York is full of superheroes all of a sudden. They're all here, and it's that thing that he says to Miles Morales, where he goes, you don't need me, you've got Avengers, and it's the thing that Miles then says to him, which is, but the Avengers deal with all the big shit, we need an on-the-ground guy and you're forgetting about why you were Spider-Man, so... Well, we've got
2: Netflix's Daredevil for that, right, guys? <laughs> and the, uh, and the as Defenders. As Daredevil fan. Yeah. Fuck everybody else, Daredevil's got it all mm-hmm. sorted out. We're good, we're good, yeah. <laughs> Fuck Spider-Man in the face. Daredevil's <laughs> got this. <laughs> but
4: only in Hell's Kitchen for some reason. That's
2: because
0: yeah. Daredevil doesn't doesn't leave, selfish.
2: Like doesn't leave that
0: two square mile. miles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, so
4: Jessica Jones is there as well, isn't Daredevil she? Daredevil yep.
1: doesn't own a car. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, well, he's blind, why would he? Yeah, that say that, that, is, is, the is, the that is a very good point, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably not yes, allowed yeah. to drive. <laughs> Unless he just magically passes a driving test and it's like... You're a really good driver for a blind guy. And he's like, oh, well. I mean, he he could, because he's he fucking
3: Daredevil.
4: He could, dare but devil, that's kind but... of
0: revealing himself as yeah,
4: a superhuman. Yeah. Could He could be a devil driver car. I'm not sure that, sure yeah. that would yeah, be absolutely. Yeah,
3: Well, well no, because he'd
2: never car. be able to tell what colour the lights are, because there's no way of... Check- <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, the, light, the iridescent bulb in the light in different it, places. It different, buzzes in slightly different frequencies or something.
0: Anyway. And my last point is kind of I really like Donald Glover. I feel like I maybe I like him a bit too much for him to be a in the opposite to the other team's pitch. You've got one central focus villain in the Prowler, aka Aaron Davis. I I'm wondering if Donald Glover is a bit too likable to be to carry a film as the bad guy. And the thing about the Prowler is, is it's kind of he's not necessarily a really really bad guy. He's just kind of the not so great uncle to Miles, and I'm, I'm wondering how you would kind of get Donald Glover to be a dick.
4: There's What's this called? thing called acting. Jack
0: oh, yes. Wait, what? No, he's a musician. He doesn't act, right? Oh no, wait. No,
1: I think Donald Glover is a as, as Stuart said, he, he's a good actor. I think he's got, I think he's got range. He's got potential. He's, but I also think that you need him to be likable, Donald Glover. And I think that's what's going about Because he's your old it. buddy
0: and glaring at the same time. Yeah, yeah, right?
1: yeah, yeah. And yeah. then you kind of, you put the turn on it. But yeah, I think, I think he could pull it off. And I mean, also I think, and you know, this is not a great argument for it, but I think Marvel must presently have enough faith in him being able to do that because they're clearly setting him up as that character in... in Yeah, because he's introduced Spider-Man. in yeah.
0: Homecoming and it's like, hey, I'm, and he's I'm like, like, yeah, I've Aaron got... Davis.
1: And he's like, yeah, I've got a nephew that... My that... nephew likes this yeah. stuff, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think they're obviously going down that route anyway. I,
3: I don't think we'll we'll get him as full-blown prowler, though, I think.
1: It was that frustrating thing as well where, of course... Because around Amazing Spider-Man, there was that thing of, is it going to be... Are we going to get Donald Glover uh, as Spider-Man? There was that whole thing. And it's that thing where it's like, well, that would still be great, but now he's too old to play (laughs) Spider-Man. It's like if this had been, you know... If only we ran a podcast
3: where we could somehow, like, change what sequels had been made (laughs) at certain points. If
1: only... (laughs) If only. What a world that would <laughs> be. <Isn't> that is <laughs> not
4: power that a man could harness.
2: Uh,
3: I, I have a very important question for Sam Raimi needs a holiday. Is the old man who's drawing Spider-Man at the end, is that your Stan Lee
1: cameo? No, it's Steve Ditko. Oh. You're gonna get, you're gonna, gonna get fucking Ditko. You're gonna get notorious recluse. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and, we are the J.D. Salinger of comics and general awful human being, yeah, Steve <laughs> Ditko. I genuinely
2: thought it was gonna be like just a Stanley. I didn't realize we were going Ditko. Fucking. I, I hell. Asked, no. I assume yeah, it Stan I was Stanley. I was, the joke I was, was quite was against this Ditko thing. Joke I, that I'm called. not a
4: fan of. I didn't understand the reference. I get, so yeah, I don't yeah, like I, honestly, I do
2: get the reference. I think it makes much more sense now as well.
0: But I'm like, oh. That's bold. I, I think thought the yeah. joke was that Stanley never drew a comic
3: in his life. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just I think you are more likely to get an
1: actual functioning Ultimo robot <laughs> <Yeah>. rampaging
3: through <laughs> New York than you are I to think, get.
1: I think we absolutely are as well. <laughs> but I wanted to do a because you know and think what you will about Steve Ditko, but. Yeah, he did co-create he the did character draw, and get none of the credit for it for uh, many years. And I thought, not having a Stan Lee cameo and having the other guy mm. cameoing in his place. So bold. Yeah. The, the, in the original draft, it was Stan Lee and oh, it was, Steve Ditko. I you can't believe you took that out. It was okay. so I, good. I had
4: to take it out, Alec, because it was a page fucking long. It was... <laughs> it
1: was it was, I will explain, the in the original scene, you had the two guys over an easel drawing with Steve Ditko drawing the cover to Amazing Fantasy number 15, and Dan Lee leans into him and says, are you sure he has webs for wings? I've never seen him with webs for wings. And then Steve Ditko says, will don't you draw the damn thing? And then he swings past, and Steve Ditko, Matt as an obscenity, scrunches it up and starts drawing the new Spider-Man. It's
2: like it's like the end of Um, uh, Irredeemable, where the Schuster guys are inventing Superman based on this idea of what they. Yeah, interesting. I don't know. I think it'd be less controversial to get like a CGI sort of like you know like the de-aged heads of like uh, Michael Douglas and stuff. But it's Princess Diana. <laughs> uh- <laughs> So, uh, My Secret Copier, have you got any
0: other questions or comments for Sam Raimi needs a holiday?
2: Yeah, ultimately um, I just want to say that I don't personally like the MCU links because I think it causes too many headaches, but I wanted to point out that I really do like the Mars Morales links uh, in the story. I think it's it just it just the Toby Maguire coming back and Mars Morales being introduced, just really very strong, nice little characters, and I think Especially when you think, look about how Sam Raimi develops the previous scripts, it's all based on less on, and this is the thing why they sort of the first two films work very well. They're less on what kind of cool fight scenes can we have, and more about what kind of emotional connection can we have as an. It's why he didn't like the idea of Venom because there's no humanity to it. So yeah, I, I just very much like that aspect. That's all I want. All I wanted to say. I you, I
0: guess, if you're like editing their pitch, man, mm. you could then have it. I don't know, set in like 2009 and have Tony Stark just show up at the end. Yeah, like the end like of The a, Incredible Hulk. <laughs> yeah, I guess you wouldn't have the Chitauri weapons from Avengers. No, but it also has, means we like, might yeah, get Spider-Man
2: Hulk from the Hulk fucking Stark. get-go in Avengers, <laughs> which would work out nicely. Exactly.
3: Yeah. I, I, I'm i interested if you guys, because we talked in the in real one, about how Raimi loves 60s and 70s Spider-Man and, and Venom didn't work in part because... It's a 90s character he has no interest in. Do you think he would have that level of interest in a Spider-Man character who's only been around about 10 years now?
1: I think because of the the character-driven thing mm. with it, I think yes. I think the other problem is exactly what Matt just said, which is that Venom is a difficult character for Sam Raimi to do because he's not really a Sam Raimi character. The kind of... This still feels suitably Sam Raimi tonally. The problem yeah. with... Venom is that it's always going to be about you know trying to fit him in there where he just doesn't in the kind of film that he makes, and I mean this is always the struggle that everybody has with Venom Mm. and why this new Venom movie might fall on its ass is that it's he's a difficult character to do from that perspective. He's also very of very much of a time when characters in comic books were a very particular kind of character. He's such a nineties character, and he's got
2: he doesn't work. Fans love Venom. They love the idea of Venom. Mm. But Venom is a fucking awful character. The only time yeah. Venom ever works for me personally is when he's Flash Thompson. And a- Agent Venom was Agent fantastic. Venom. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that that works great. And I know don't, I know that they're sort of saying maybe the whole Tom Hardy thing's going that road, but guess what? It fucking won't work. No, but That's not.
4: interesting, because I always liked Venom. Or should I say I liked the idea of Venom until I started reading some of the comics and then... Mm. I didn't really like Venom. It turned yeah. out I have <laughs> exactly the same. Yeah, experience. people love the idea. Yeah. They
2: love the design. They love it, the concept. I mean, it, it feels it's never under.
4: quite been done right. No, do you know what I mean exactly. It feels a bit like some sort of. I was going to say something a bit. Sp- like a spin-off of Spawn or something, but
0: it is yeah, well, actually he, Todd he's, McFarlane. He's, an, anti, he's yeah. an anti-hero from the nineties, so yeah, yeah done yeah, by
1: yeah.
2: Todd McFarlane. That uh, totally makes sense.
1: I think it is just that the nineties. I think it's fair to say is a weird time for comics. So. No and shit. Yeah, I think that throw
2: everything at it, and see what sticks. Oh wait, almost, nothing does well. But... Almost
1: anything that you have that is a product of that era. I mean, really, he is. I'm trying to think other than, like, Deadpool. I can't think of a character from that era that has retained the kind of popularity that Venom has that was introduced into Marvel Comics. Like, Shit, yeah. Really? No, no, not you, Marvel characters, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a is,
4: I mean, DC, you've got Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn's a nice Harley Quinn, yeah.
1: uh, But so Harley Quinn doesn't Kyle come out of comics. Rainer. No, no, no she comes true. out. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was a while TV. before she was in a comic,
2: yeah. 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 I mean, again, Kyle Rainer, yes, but also at the same time, fucking links you have to go to get there
0: yeah you've got all the established green lantern stuff already as well yeah so kind of... yeah so staying with sam raimi needs a holiday i really enjoyed the fact that you had miles tying into spider-man 2 i thought that was a nice little nod of like he was on the train in spider-man 2 because that's still one of the best scenes in the history of superhero movies yeah. and having there's the, the marvel cinematic universe thing of like Peter's the kid in Iron Man Two. Mm. Oh yeah, uh, At th- expo. yeah, the expo with the little Iron Man mask and stuff, and it's a fucking stupid idea. But I think you guys did it well. And you mm. didn't like flash back to a little Miles Morales, and the- that would have been heavy handed. But I like your kind of the subtle ways of tying it all together and bringing it all together. I really like how Harry's death mirrors Gwen Stacy's kind of yeah. thing in the comics of like. He tried to save him but he couldn't and he falls to his death. It's a good way of doing that without introducing Gwen Stacy out of nowhere like the real Spider-Man (laughs) 3 does and having that, like you said Alec, the kind of character motivation of him, Dark Knight, rising it basically and and going off and not being Spider-Man for a bit. I also really like you call back to the throwing the costume in the bin classic moment which is a super iconic Spider-Man classic cover. I really liked how you also brought in Miles Morales' family because that's such an integral part of that character and it kind of separates him from other superhero characters and they, he has parents who care about him and like even, spoilers for the comics, Jefferson finds out his identity and is very supportive of him and stuff like that. Granted, they've died in the comics and come back in the comics and Aunt Aaron has died and come back in the comics but that's comics. Yeah. <laughs> Stuart looked very puzzled there. You've
4: not read enough comics. I always to it. forget how often they kill off and oh, bring yeah. back. Oh yeah. it
0: is fast. Aaron has just recently come back in the current run as like an Iron Spider character because reasons. Yeah. Anyway, I really liked yeah what you did with Miles. I think you did justice to the character, and I like kind of your justification, Alec, of starting off simple and then he would build up later on as kind of a, a key member of the MCU in the future of your version of the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Over to my secret copier. I really liked how you built on the Mary Jane-Peter dynamic. I think that felt a lot more organic than it does in the original one, where you have them still in love, but this exhausted kind of... It's a strain on the relationship, but they're willing to push through it and stick with it and that kind of thing. It's nice to have that, because I think that's a, that's a key part of the first two films, is the, the relationship between Mary Jane, and that's why Gwen Stacy's introduction in three makes no fucking sense is because that relationship is so key to the first two films it totally feels like a continuation and it makes sense for them to be this i think you used exhausted but in love as a term and i think that's a perfect kind of encapsulation of them what three four years on from their relationship in spider-man 2 i really like that harry is kind of behind everything as well that like you said you avoided the problem of three villains feeling completely arbitrary and unrelated. You've got Harry being the controller of the other two and kind of spurring them and giving them the motivation. You've also got Harry being the kind of mirror to Peter and they literally fight side by side. And I think you even said in the pitch, like in a future that could have been in an interesting moment, they work together in a future that could have been, Mm -hmm. they work side by side. And that's a fantastic Again, a culmination of the relationships that are built up in 1 and 2. That feels like a very organic and very natural progression for where the redemption arc of Harry could have gone in Spider-Man 3, but they fucked it with amnesia. <laughs> um, also really, You've also got very kind of classic Spider-Man callbacks. We mentioned the stuck-under-concrete-lifting stuff. The other team have costume in a bin you've got spider-man lifting heavy things and struggling you've got classic spider-man moments and i think your ending couldn't be more classic spider-man if you tried sort of like gotta go to work mj and he kind of spins out the window and in his you've got the j the jameson stuff and yeah really nice i really like how peter is also kind of consumed by vengeance and he goes to the dark side and you both kind of touched on it that he miles gets consumed by anger in Sam Raimi's Needs a Holiday pitch and then you've got Peter Parker gets kind of consumed by vengeance in My Secret Copiers pitch and you had them in a lot of ways your pictures are very different but they also mirror each other in interesting ways and you've got the you both had the similar line of ready to deliver the killing blow but (laughs) realizing it's not the right thing to do which is a very important thing in superhero movies because superheroes probably shouldn't just be randomly killing people. Yeah. Hey, Zack Snyder.
3: <laughs> unless, unless they're Judge Dredd. Oh, but he's not a superhero. Well, and, and he doesn't do it he's randomly. He's character. He does it
0: unquestionably <laughs> yeah. all the time. The <laughs> law. <laughs> he is the law. So I guess it's that final time for me to render my verdict and pick a winner for Spider-Man 3. And I'm going to have to go with... Sam Raimi needs a holiday. Congratulations, gentlemen. You are one step ahead. You're two steps ahead, in fact. You are 3-1 up for this season. Congratulations. Like I said, I really liked what you did with Miles Morales. Again, I'm a bit biased on Miles Morales. I like him as a character.
2: Fucking Dick Grayson every time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's Marvel's Dick Grayson. No, but like I said, I really like what you did with the character and the natural progression of tying it all into the MCU. It felt like the right amount of miles to have it tie in together and not go too crazy like the real spider-man 3 did you didn't try and do too much in one film you kept it kind of low key and kind of simple with prowler and uh yeah really really liked it and maybe the tough easily the toughest decision of this season so far one of the toughest decisions i've had in general in mm. this in this whole podcast so well done to my secret copy oh, as well. I will cool. mm-hmm. say
1: the thing I say at the end of most of these episodes, which is I think both teams successfully sequelized the oh, shit Christ, out of Spider yeah, Man yeah. 3. I <laughs> yeah, think we correct. came up with two infinitely oh, superior yeah. Fast improvements. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, certainly. I mean, not that we actually had to make them, because that in itself <laughs> might <laughs> be different. But yeah, good like, yeah. luck yeah. convincing
0: Sam Raimi to come back.
1: <laughs> yeah. And Steve Ditko, in yeah. fact.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's the real problem. Yeah. That, that <laughs> Ditko cameo will cost you more time and money than in yeah. the rest of the film put together.
1: <laughs> He'd get JD Salinger sooner than was, we'd get. He's
2: been, been working on the, the Dick Ho cameo since 2005. And it's just, that's <laughs> uh, to to sending J-O-D. him a letter every He'll day. He did yeah. soon. Actually, if he
4: dies, it might be easier. <laughs> weekend at Bernie's. Exactly Starring <laughs> Steve Dick. <laughs> no. Weekend at Steve's. It's just that holding Steve Dick like the worst
0: week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for me, yeah. Dick Cole. It's oh, no God. longer just a metaphor. <laughs> 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 the most on-the-nose metaphor is Stan Lee controlling yeah. Ditko puppet. So that wraps us up for Spider-Man 3. If you guys have any suggestions, if you disagree with my decision, please let me know. Sequalizers at gmail.com is the place to send questions, queries, and all that good stuff too. And of course, if you want to send it in 280 characters or less, <laughs> go to twitter.com slash sequelizers or just at sequelizers. That's with the E's and S's you bloody Americans spelling it with Z's and A's and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You should know by now. Exactly. Nobody spells was...
4: it with an A, do they? Yeah, yeah
0: as in all. equalizer. Yeah, I see. I've... like take oh, the word equalizer in American oh, spelling and see. slap an S on something. Like equalizer see. and then put an oh, S on it. So
4: that's that's if we, that would be if we were forming the word differently. Correct. Mm. We would... are sticking with the idea of the sequel with the
0: word sequel that the whole pun is based on. Yeah.
4: For they are not equal. For this is a poor sequel. <laughs> <laughs> True. Thanks, Stuart. Stuart. Anytime. (laughs) Anytime.
0: We'll be back next week. We'll be fixing Ghostbusters 2. (gasps) People are going to be fucking pissed. Because some people really like that movie. Yeah, Tim. Yep. But but loads of people like all the movies we've fixed so far. (laughs) People are like, oh, I really like. Exorcist
1: (laughs) 2 Ghostbusters 2 is one of the ones that I hate like the least of the ones that we've covered. Yeah I would agree but
4: it's it's got some great imagery in it but mm, I think I like Predators 2 more. That's totally irrelevant Please end the podcast
2: (laughs) Bye